everybody. Welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back to Cover B. We are talking key issues today. Oh, yeah. We're getting intense. We're, we're spilling the tea. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about the trend in Hollywood among A-listers, directors, things like that to put a negative deliver negative commentary on superhero film um most recently i think uh the more kind of noteworthy one uh was ridley scott was on mark moran's podcast um and uh just bashed the heck out of superhero <laughs> films talking trash called them effing boring uh, went on to say that he's made three scripted superhero adventures um, that were great. And even though previous to being on the WTF podcast, he uh, had said he's never made any because they're not his thing. But I guess now he's made three, even though those movies existed previously. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Ridley Scott, it's fine. Uh, and all this spins out of he was uh, a bit booty chafed that his <laughs> uh, last duel didn't do well and he was trying to blame millennials for that because that's cool, I guess. Saying that we have a generation of people that exist on their effing cell phones uh, and that's why my movie tanked. When in reality, I talked to a bunch of people who'd never even heard of the movie Never knew that it was existing at all. And hey, maybe the the tanking of it is uh, systemic of a bigger issue. Uh, and we'll talk about that. But we're going to be talking about all the people that have kind of dunked on superhero films. What that means. How we feel about that. Uh, and whew, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that stands out to me a lot of the times when people are dunking on Marvel movies is how ironic some of their the criticisms are. Mm. Um, things like, so another recent trash talker was Dennis Villeneuve, the mm. director of Dune. Um, he came out and said that the Marvel movies are all cut and paste and that they've like, turned us into zombies effectively mm -hmm. and yeah he perhaps these types of movies have turned us into zombies a bit but big and expensive movies of great value there are many today and i'm like you just made dune <laughs> which is literally yeah. a remake it's a literal based <laughs> and a huge budget film starring people who are in marvel movies yeah what? 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 And you know, I think that kind of gets to the heart of the problem. One of the one of the most popular ones that caused like a lot of a lot of wildfire in the community was Martin Scorsese. He came out like two years ago, I think, mm -hmm. and was like, "I tried. I don't like them. I think he said they're not cinema for humans, which yeah. is a pretty righteous thing to do. It's, it's funny. I saw an article that was effectively saying, like, wouldn't it be more shocking if he was like, oh, yeah, I, I love, love superhero movies. 
I think they said like Ant Man and the Wasp. That's my jam. Like, <laughs> wouldn't that be weirder? And in a way, yes. Like, you know, when you look at the trend of, and just admittedly, when you look at the trend of directors and mainly directors, but also some actors coming out and saying like, "Oh, I'm not into superhero movies." Uh, they tend to be older. Mm-hmm. You know, Ridley Scott getting up there. Martin Scorsese getting up there. Francis mm-hmm. Ford Coppola still alive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so, you know, there is this kind of generational thing that's happening with a lot of them. You know what I mean? Like, I think there is this idea that, uh, you know, they're from an older time. And I mean, it's Scorsese. He makes like classics, like instant classics. So right. it's it's like, of course, you'd expect him to not really be into like more commodity films. And, you know, by all means, I'm not saying that we're not saying that the Marvel movies are perfect. There is a formula that goes into mm-hmm. them. You know, they do have to please stakeholders and they have to please the Chinese market. So there's a lot of decisions that are made uh, that kind of water down certain elements of it. There's a lot of less. There's lots of less. There's a lot less. Man, my mouth would not form that mm-hmm. saying. There's a lot less risk taking yeah. in the Marvel universe and, and in, in the DC universe as well, because they do have all these restrictions and have all these audiences that they have to appease while sticking somewhat familiarity to the source material. Otherwise then the fans themselves get irritated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that being said, I think these criticisms from these individuals and criticisms from people, just people in my life. And I'm sure people in your lives out there, listeners, uh, a lot of the criticisms just spin out of misconceptions mm-hmm. about the superhero genre. Like, one of the big ones that pops up, you know, Scorsese mentioned it and a bunch of other people mentioned it. And there's a few criticisms I can forgive that are mm-hmm. subjective. Like, James Gunn recently came out because he was going around calling his Suicide Squad movie a war movie. And very much his Suicide Squad movie, his Guardians of the Galaxy movies, they've been very different from formulaic superhero films. Absolutely. They don't feel like superhero movies. And I think when you look at like the MCU, you see a lot of movies falling into different like the Thor movies can be very fantasy. Thor three Ragnarok was very comedy and sci fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have Ant-Man and the Wasp or, or Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp are heist movies, comedic mm-hmm. heist movies. So there's a lot of movies in there that are technically in a superhero universe, but aren't superhero films. The films that feel very superhero are like Man of Steel, uh, you know, the Wonder Woman movies. Captain America. Captain America. The Iron Man movies feel very, very much that. So, you know... That's kind of where I think James Gunn is making the separation of, like, you can still have superheroes or comic book characters. He's not necessarily dunking on comic book movies as a whole. Just the superhero idea right? of I'm a powered person who flies around and saves people in the streets. Spider-Man movies, very much the same. 
Um, and he called that kind of formula boring. And I, I can forgive that kind of criticism. If you just find it boring, that's fine. That's a subjective thing. That's, that's your yeah. opinion. And it's okay to have that opinion. But I think there's a lot of hypercritical people out there that are just putting these movies under a fine, fine scope. And it comes from what these movies stand for. And we'll hit on it a little bit. Like, I don't want to take up too much time of this episode hitting on some of the more negative implications of what Marvel and Disney and whatnot are doing mm -hmm. to the theater industry and cinema in general. But um, so there's there's reasons to have certain criticisms. And I even hold certain criticisms to how things are being handled. But calling something not cinema suggests a lot and there's a few people that said like it's not cinema because it doesn't provide anything it doesn't teach us anything we don't feel anything from it and i think that's unfair because you didn't feel anything from it but there are a lot of people that get a lot out of these movies i don't go into the theater and cry for three hours because i felt yeah nothing. it's <laughs> you know these movies give people a connection to characters. They inspire people. That's what these characters are made to do. That's why they stuck around in the comic books for so long. Is because they bring people heart and love and courage and bravery. And, you know, they do teach lessons. Like, there are lessons there. Like, Into the Spider-Verse has an amazing lesson to it. About mm -hmm. how anyone can be a hero. You just have to be willing to do it. You know, and those things exist there. And I think hypercritical people are just so focused on like whether it be nitpicky cinematography and writing things, whether it be nitpicky aversion to special effects, whatever it might be. I think they're so focused on these kind of rigorous qualifications for something to be a cinematic experience right? that they're not willing to understand what these movies do to the population. So it's like, you know, Denis Villeneuve who called, uh, said they're making us zombies, right? You know, is missing the point entirely. He doesn't see what the population that goes to see these movies and goes to meet the actors at uh, comic conventions and goes to, you know, great lengths to be involved in the lore and theorize things and speculate things and get into comics because they like the movies so much and watch the TV shows so that they can have all this world and be a part of this world. He doesn't see that because he doesn't feel it. So he just assumes that people are turning out in droves because some sort of formula has been achieved. And now here are the people. Along that same lines, um, another actor-director who's talked a lot of smack about Marvel is Jodie Foster. Mm -hmm. um, she actually, she said, and I quote, Studios making bad content in order to appeal to the masses and shareholders is like fracking. You get the best return right now, but you wreck the earth, ruining the viewing habits of the American population and ultimately the rest of the world. My big issue with this comment, I understand the conceptualization behind it. I understand that you're kind of 
trying to find that baseline, you know, content that will appeal to as many people as possible without angering, like, with while angering the smallest population of people or, or getting disapproval from the smallest amount of people. And I understand how that lack of risk can be problematic. My problem with that is that you're assuming that it wasn't already the standard behavior of production companies and that that hasn't always been a baseline value of production. Like, yes, there are actors and directors that take massive risks, obviously, but superhero movies are not the first ones that have looked around and been like, we have to make sure shareholders are happy and these specific audience groups are happy. Yeah. yeah like, why are you calling out superheroes I, yeah. and stuff explicitly and, in this context when I'm pretty sure there's a whole genre of, like, multiple different types yeah. that do this exact same thing? You know, Mission Impossible's been going on for how long, you know? James Bond! James Bond's been going on for how long? <laughs> like, come on! You know, even pre Disney seizure Star Wars has been going on for how long? And I get where Jodie Foster and people with that similar criticism are coming from. And that's something, like I said, that I honestly have a criticism of, of yeah. how Disney is handling these things. And, you know, but at the same time, it, it A, makes it seem like they're the ones at fault when they're riding off of the back of a precedence that was already established yes. by other big movie. Look at Fast and the Freaking Furious. Exactly. Big movie franchises that basically pump out similar things every time. And you do see an element of, you know, the MCU and the DC universe trying to change and adapt and become more creative. And... You know, there's definitely stuff early on that, I mean, the reason there's low points in the franchises, like in Iron Man and in Thor, mm -hmm. is because the formula wasn't working. Like, mm -hmm. they hadn't figured it out. And there's definitely certain things that I criticize that I don't love when characters are randomly just turned into snarky, little quippy mm -hmm. characters. Everybody comments on that. Like, even the fanship is like, stop. Yeah. And Marvel's toned it down. Like if you Big go time. if you go and look at Shang-Chi, it like Shang was a funny character, you know? Yeah. But he wasn't super quippy. He and he wasn't, wasn't super silly. Yeah, it wasn't just <laughs> RDJ again. Well, you and know? they've changed Doctor Strange from yeah. his first movie. Doctor Strange has is... become more broody. Yeah, and, he feels yeah. a lot less like Iron Man than he did in his first movie. Now he's starting to feel his own kind of yeah. personality. And so I get where criticism like Jodie Foster's is coming from. And we'll go ahead and hit on this because there is a there is an element of these big budget movies changing the way theatrical things work, mm -hmm. you know. And I actually saw an interview with Ben Affleck where he hit on this really hard in response to Ridley Scott having a freaking meltdown over The Last Duel. <laughs> Because he was talking about, he first got asked about, I guess at some point in the br the press junket, a reporter asked a question that the lead up to the question was, this movie, The Last Duel, to Ridley Scott, uh, this movie, The Last Duel, is more realistic than your previous movies. 
and Ridley Scott just said, F you, sir. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's at this point in his career where he could just, like, go ham. Uh, and Ben Affleck, first of all, was like, who doesn't want to do that in a press junket? And I'm like, preach, man. Actors get crapped on all day That's in press true. junkets. It's crazy. Absolutely. Um, but he went on to kind of discuss the movie bombing in the box office. And he was like, you know, I've he's had movies that have bombed, mm-hmm. lest we mention Geely. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, you know, normally you have a movie and you're like, ah, oh, man, I wish that movie was better. But he was like, I like this movie and it plays well with audiences and it's on streaming now and it's playing really well. And he was basically just saying that the the eventually, according to him, he's talking about this with like everyone he knows. Eventually, the theater is going to be its own thing and then movies will happen elsewhere because actually not just because of what's happening in the theater which i'll talk about in a second but also because the benefits of streaming you technically get a higher quality in streaming because Mm -hmm. if you're at home with a 4k tv it's gonna look a lot better than on a screen at a distance yeah you know movie screens are very visually stunning with like vfx and stuff but if you've got like a 55 inch 4k tv and you composite and you can be in your jammies and eat whatever you want, not overpay for food and drinks and things like that. There's a lot of benefits to streaming. Big time, yeah. Um, and so in addition to that, he's talking about how there's a... He kind of only briefly mentions it, but the reality that people need to understand is that there is there is a problem with the way things are going. And that is that... I was having this conversation with people a while back medium budget films are basically entirely not allowed to be in theaters anymore yeah because they're constantly muscled out by these big franchises and it's not just marvel it's movies like jurassic park it's Mm -hmm. movies like fast and the furious big budget franchise even dune you know big budget franchises are muscling out these smaller things because Mm -hmm. theaters have to buy these. They have to buy the ability to play them. Mm -hmm. And if they have the option of filling up on all these movies, new ghostbusters, you know, Sony movies, Marvel movies, like all these different movies, these big franchises, big budget things that as Ben Affleck called it, come with like an already built in audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're going to pick those. I mean, it makes sense. I they, The theaters took a huge hit during the pandemic. So it makes sense that they would want to say, I'm going to put Spider-Man No Way Home in every single one of our theaters because I know that every single one of those theaters are going to fill up yeah. with viewers rather than taking a risk buying a medium budget movie that maybe nobody's heard of mm-hmm. and that's going to be an empty theater. Why would you waste the money? Yeah. Aside from like horror movies and a lot of movies, honestly, coming out of A24, mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of medium budget stuff hitting the theaters. And it might just be, while it is definitely the fault of Disney and people like them, WB, Disney, and a lot of these bigger companies just putting a reliance on these bigger things, it's also not the end of the world. It's kind of like what we talked about in our Substack issue or episode where I guess issue because it was a key issue. Uh, 
change is not necessarily bad. Right. If people making the content still get value from the content. You know what I mean? Like, if they still profit off of it. So, okay, if we live in a world where low and medium budget movies and a lot of international movies have to go to streaming, as long as the creators are still finding worth in doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big issue is a lot of these older creators don't see the worth in that. They don't get it. They don't feel the... So I think that's another misconception that's happening is that if my movie can't make it in the theater, it's someone's fault. It effed up. Something got ruined. Right. Box office numbers are the only things that matter. And... I can't make movies for streaming. And the reality is, is that's not the case. High quality stuff has been coming out for TV and on HBO for years. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the best, you know, quote unquote cinematic kind of serialized things happened before streaming was even a thing. People talk about Breaking Bad all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, Game of Thrones started before streaming was really a big thing. Shameless. Shameless, you know, um, even superhero stuff, the Netflix superhero stuff was highly critically acclaimed. Yeah. You know? Shut up, Danny. Um, <laughs> we're not talking about you. But, you know, you've got, and even on the DC side, Doom Patrol gets a lot of love. Mm-hmm. It's hard for people to see because it had kind of a rocky kind of bounce around on different streaming things. But the people fault. that have seen it and the critics that have seen it love it. Yeah. So it's like... It's not new to make something high quality and profitable that doesn't hit a theater. But these folks that are all about cinema and all about theaters and all about movies just see this old way of doing things. And I feel like they're not willing to kind of look for the future of that. And honestly, Ben Affleck, in my opinion, has one of the best. I wrote it down because I was like, this is a really solid response. And I'll bounce back to this because uh, it segues well into something I'm talking about later. But just to go ahead and put the Ben Affleck quote out, he said, uh, because he was talking about how he doesn't want to do IP movies anymore. So he made this mention about how theaters are going to change and how the last duel is probably his last theatrical release because he doesn't want to do IP things anymore. Basically saying that theaters are going to become nothing but franchises and IP movies. So your Jurassic Parks and reboots of things and etc etc think movies with chris pratt in it yeah exactly (laughs) if chris pratt is cast in it it's gonna be in the theater uh and he said because i don't want to do ip movies where you have this sort of built-in audience that's something i was interested in and liked and i just don't like anymore i like other people who do it and if you are going to do it you should love it and i love something different so i want to do that And I just thought that was a really good, he wasn't immediately like, I'm not doing IP movies because IP movies suck. Screw you, DC, you know? He just like, was like, yeah, I I like people who, I know people who want to do franchise movies, and I like them. Good for them. And if you do it, you should be passionate about it. You know? I... I mean, there is something to be said that poor Ben Affleck, every time he's been in an IP movie, he gets burned real bad. Real, real bad. (laughs) That's true. I feel like he's sort of just tired of being in IP movies and having people shit on him. (laughs) He's like, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm going over to Netflix. (laughs) The final misconception I have that I kind of want to just touch on briefly because it's nothing new to comic book fans. Uh, There's a few people, namely 
David Cronenberg and Alejandro Inarito, who uh, just latch on to the classic comic books are for kids thing. Yep. And they want to just claim that comic book movies are for children. And the fact that they're so popular is messed up because they're for children. And I just don't think that's fair. It's not. It's you know? absolutely not. I mean, that's that's under the assumption that comic books are just for children. Yeah. Which and it's, they're not. <laughs> and there have been, I mean, there's been comic book creators that have said the way to fix the comic book industry is to refocus it on kids. And I do think there needs to be more of a healthy focus on kids. And I think Marvel's doing a good job with that. They've got their Marvel action line and their Star Wars adventures line with IDW. You know, I think there's a lot of options out there for younger audiences now. Um, that said, I don't feel like comics have been for kids for a long time. And I don't think they need to be. And I think it's okay for these movies to grow up. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and for these characters to grow with you. And I think what Marvel does well is does a good job positioning these movies into something that both kids and adults can love. And I don't understand how that's a problem. I don't comprehend how going me grabbing my eight-year-old nephew and going to a movie and both of us equally enjoying every part of that movie is a problem. You know? I mean, this is a much bigger conversation, but I'm just going to lay it out on the line. The argument that comics and comic book movies are for kids is steeped in purity culture and the patriarchy and the attempt to kind of remove sexuality from, like, all yeah. sorts of parts of the entertainment industry, and it's gross, and it's dumb, and I hate that argument. <laughs> yeah. Because it's people who don't know history, it's people of a certain age who have expectations that you need to be grown-ups. First of all, as a millennial who may never be able to buy a house, don't tell me to grow up. If my few bits of joy come from comic books and comic book movies, you can just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Inyarito actually said, I think uh, I think there's nothing wrong with being fixated on superheroes when you're seven years old, but I think there's a disease in not growing up. And I just don't agree with that. No. I don't understand. Well, the problem that that brings is it devalues every person that wants to creatively make something that is approachable by children. Yeah. And I think that's an offensive statement. Yeah. It it says if you as a creator don't want to make something with F-bombs and violence and gore. And sex. And heavy emotional themes and sex and nudity and you know, depression or a darker tone. If you don't want to do anything, any of that, if you want to make a movie that's light and family friendly and happy, screw you. You're not making movies. You're or not screw artistic. you. You're not artistic or screw you. You're not making movies for adults. And that's unfair. Yeah. You know, absolutely. one of my favorite comic series is Canto. It's made for kids. It's a young, it's, so it's a good. young audience book. David M. Boer. Go check it out. It's so good. But it's, 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 if somebody told me that and I was a creator who was making things for, you know, that were just open, you know, just available. There are adults that don't like gore, violence, and dark themes. Oh, yeah. 
And you're basically saying that that person doesn't know how to live, you know? Right. And I get that there's a lot of reading into, and I'm sure he had his own sort of, like, reason for saying that. But the sound of it is that if you're not making something with some sort of theme in it that would be inappropriate for children, then you're not making quality. And yeah. that's that's offensive. It's so that's, wrong. It's messed up. And it devalues a ton of really good creative work out there. Yeah. You know, basically everything Disney devalued. Uh, a lot of approachable comics and approachable fiction devalued. The early Harry Potter series devalued. Though that's being devalued for its own reasons. <laughs> um, <laughs> that one's being devalued at the home. Um even like other things, even video games, you know, yeah. even board games, like just anything that you're effectively saying that anything that is approachable by children and I love it. It's one of my favorite of whatever genre this is. That makes me not understand that genre. If I'm the one who created it and I'm an adult and I created it with the intention of adults enjoying it, too then I don't get it. Well, and, you know? and in the reverse, it kind of adds unearned value to things that are the other side of the spectrum. Like, yeah. you're going to argue to me that Cannibal Holocaust has more value than, like, Moana? No. No. You, you can't make that argument. You cannot make that argument. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. Here's Uncle Chris's tip of the day. If you talk to somebody and they tell you that their favorite horror movie is Cannibal Holocaust, run the other way. Don't hang out with them anymore. <laughs> it's not even saying anything about Cannibal Holocaust. I'm just saying every person that I've ever met who's like, Cannibal Holocaust is my favorite horror movie, is a gatekeeping piece of shit and will devalue every opinion you have on horror movies. Also, Cannibal Holocaust actually killed animals, and that's not okay. It's actually, and I mean, even beyond that, even beyond the controversy, it's not a good movie. It's really not. <laughs> it's just not. It's just not. But <laughs> a lot of people will say it's their favorite horror movie because it makes them edgy. And yeah. those are not the people you want to have discussions no, those with. Are gross and if you're out there and your favorite horror movie is Cannibal Holocaust, maybe I'm not talking about you. Who knows? <laughs> And, you know, here we are having a big conversation about how people need to stop making sweeping generalizations. <laughs> and I'm like, screw you, Cannibal Holocaust. I mean, so kind of tying it back in, there are also just people in Hollywood that just maybe I don't value their opinion <laughs> and their opinion on the Marvel Universe. Like, that's, val that, that's valid. Like, Mickey Rourke came out and was like, now, it's the context is bizarre, okay? Because he was talking about how he loves Law & Order SVU, which I also love Law & Order SVU. Olivia Benson is bae, yeah. okay? And, but he literally was like, respect to all of you. The work that you all do is real acting, not like that crap that all on that Marvel shit. First off, he was in a Marvel movie. He doesn't know that. You, <laughs> you have to know Mickey Rourke does not know that he was in a Marvel movie. <laughs> Second of all, I'm not... I'm not talking negative about anyone on the SVU cast. They are all amazing actors and people. But he just, he just, 
he basically just said that like ice tea is a better actor than angelina jolie and like think about the context of this (laughs) what are you doing it's just sometimes the opinions like mel gibson's talk trash about it and i'm like I think I, I could think of a few rants you've had, homeboy, yeah. that devalues your opinion from yeah, ever right. being a part of the conversation. Like some it's people like, in Hollywood, Mel, your opinion I, doesn't matter. I hear you talking shit about the Marvel movies, but you also talk shit about the Jews. So <laughs> exactly, like uh, I don't. Some people in Hollywood, I just I'm not gonna value. Like like here's another great one. So apparently Pierce Brosnan, don't get me wrong, I love Pierce Brosnan, but Pierce Brosnan got offered to be in one of the Tim Burton Batman movies, okay? Mm-hmm. And he apparently looked at Tim Burton and said, any guy who wears his underpants outside his trousers cannot be taken seriously. Did you hear yourself in Mamma Mia, Pierce Brosnan? <laughs> you know he didn't. Did-, <laughs> Did you hear your own voice come out of your mouth? In Mamma Mia, you think anyone took you seriously in Mamma Mia? Like, sometimes the things that come out of Hollywood mouths is just flabbergasting yeah. to me. So, to, <laughs> to kind of finalize everything, obviously we're not talking down about any of these individuals. No. Except maybe Mickey Rourke and Pierce Brosnan. And Mel Gibson. And Mel Gibson. <laughs> Anti-Semitic-ass Mel Gibson. Um... <laughs> You know, we're not talking down about any of these creators. Ridley Scott has made amazing films. I do think he's getting a little bit of the crotchety old man syndrome. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there are creators that I didn't bring up that have talked shit about superhero movies. Alan Moore, who talks shit about everything. But, you know, these are incredible people that have given a lot. Martin Scorsese has given a lot to the world of cinema. I just wanted to do this episode mainly to put out there that I think a lot of these criticisms, because these might be criticisms that people in your lives, I know there are criticisms that people in my life have, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a very, very close friend who I want nothing more to be able to share these movies with, and I just feel like I can't. I feel like there's so many that I've enjoyed that he has not, and it's just a difference in critical reception of it and but his outlook is the exact outlook that you need to have and so if there are critical people in your lives remember these misconceptions and share with them kind of the way I feel about it and the way my friend feels about it which is in being overly critical with these sorts of things you not only devalue the people making these things, and I think that's a big thing for these Hollywood creators, is they're basically looking at all these different directors. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's a few that even called out like Christopher Nolan by name, and like they're looking at all these different directors, all these different actors, and they're saying the quality of your stuff not there. You know, you're not putting out a good product. Yeah. And they're also looking at the people that enjoy these things. And this is more towards the people that are in your lives because, you know, they probably don't know Chris Pratt. So they're not going to offend him, you know, (laughs) but they know you. And if you love these movies and someone in your life is hypercritical of them, uh, it can be hurtful. You know what I mean? Like it can it can cause a rift between two people. It can be dehumanizing. And 
so just remember the misconceptions and use them to kind of help ease people into, you know, trying to understand them a bit more. But maybe they never will. And if that's the case, like I said, I have a friend who is hypercritical of these. He likes a lot of them. It's not like he likes none of them. Uh, but there's a lot that he's been critical of. But his outlook on things like this has always been just because it's not for me doesn't mean it doesn't have value to people I care about. Mm -hmm. And he loves that we love these things. Mm -hmm. You know, he loves that they bring us joy. He yep. enjoys that they make us happy. And I think that's a great, that's how it should be. Just because something's not for you doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest thing that all these criticisms come from, you know, including all the people that just said like, oh, it's boring. And there's some people that said, oh, it's boring and then moved on, didn't say it has no value. But there's plenty of others that said, oh, it's Ridley Scott. Oh, they're effing boring <laughs> and they have no value. Uh, that doesn't make sense. It yeah. might not have value to you, but you have to remember that it does have value to millions of other people. And whether that's just them liking the costumes and liking the special effects or liking the soundtrack, or if they have an emotional connection to these characters that they grew up with, you have to respect that value. And, you know, enjoy and take, take joy from the fact that people in your life, if you're one of these critical people, get happiness from it. You should like things that do that to the people in your lives. You know, like, as long as it's not damn, like, if your cousin's a heroin addict, don't be like, man, that good old heroin. <laughs> sure does keep Billy leveled. Uh, that's not okay. But, you know, you might not be into checkers. But if your Uncle Sherman loves playing checkers and going down to the park every day, but you find checkers really boring, every time he asks you to play, you're like, no, Sherm. No thanks. Checkers <laughs> checkers suck. And you like smack the board out of his hand and then he's going down to the park and you drive by and like fling sacks of dog shit at him. <laughs> like don't do that. Just be happy that he has this thing that he enjoys. Yeah, you know? we're not in any way saying that you have to love superheroes. Yeah, not movies. at all. We fully understand that people enjoy and different types of things and don't enjoy like everything. Like that's totally fine. But I think what's interesting to me is that there are tons of people in the world who don't like horror movies, but are still respectful about not liking horror movies. They may not think that the gore or the scariness or the themes are for them, but they still are like, oh, but, you know, my friends like horror movies and that's fine. Yeah. Superhero movies, for some reason, are one of the few genres, even more so than like family-based movies, like Disney movies. For some reason, there's something about superhero movies that make people think... If I don't like it, I can devalue it. I can talk smack about it. I can yeah. I can tell other people that I don't like it and you shouldn't like it either. It's like the one genre in film that people are able and to I, do that. And that's not fair. I think that's because it just because it has such a focus and it's so corporatized. Yeah. So I think people feel this sort of like vindiction towards it. Yeah. I think there might also be kind of a subconscious thing with a lot of the like way overly critical people. Um, I, I shouldn't say overly because that's devaluing. They're very critical people. Yes. Um, where they 
do see kind of the trend of theater mm-hmm. and they maybe they don't know how to interpret that to criticize it for that. Right. So they criticize it for other things. I don't know what the situation, but you're correct. They it's very much in the scope nowadays and like isn't being given the forgiveness that things like Disney movies and horror movies horror movies tend to get. And we're not saying, you know, that you can't be one of those people that dislike superhero movies. Yeah. You absolutely can. What we're saying is treat it with the same amount of respect you'd treat any genre that you're not a huge fan of. I don't love, you know, all the romantic dramas. Like, if I'm going to pick a movie out, typically romantic dramas are in the bottom of my list. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I don't see and appreciate the value of it. That doesn't mean that I'm going to talk smack to somebody else. If my mom comes to me and says, I want to watch this romantic drama or this romantic comedy, I'm not going to be like, ugh, that's what you like? That's gross. There's no value in that. It's all gunk. Like, I'm not... I'm not yeah. going to talk smack. Yeah. And if you don't like superhero movies, don't talk smack because yeah. there's just no need. To to clarify, you know, and f- wrap everything up, we haven't liked every superhero movie. Nope. You know, not even just the like classically bad ones. Like <laughs> in the MCU, there are movies I don't like that I'm fine skipping. If mm-hmm. I do like an MCU run, I'm fine. There are movies that I don't like 100% that I like certain things of and not other things. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to not have found a single superhero movie that you enjoy. The main point of this is that a lot of these big name people, the Scorsese's, the Ridley Scott's that are making these criticisms are sweeping doing sweeping devalue of the creators, the actors, and the fans the fans Mm -hmm. they are saying this is i mean scorsese said this is not cinema for humans so he's telling you know chris pratt chris evans chris hemsworth paul rudd zoe saldana all the people in these movies you were acting in non-cinema you were wasting your time yeah you know all the directors you were wasting you didn't make a quality product and then all the fans you're just zombies, corporate shills. You have no opinions or real thoughts. You know, Jodie Foster saying it's like fracking and they're putting out bad content. She literally says to every single actor that's in every single one of these movies, every director, every crew member, every VFX artist, you're making bad quality stuff. You're destroying film. And that's not okay. It's okay to not like them. And it's okay to look critically at the changes happening in theaters and the behaviors of the production companies. It's okay to look at those things, you know, definitely be critical of the slow roll of diversity in Marvel and DC movies. Mm -hmm. Definitely be critical of that. That's a good thing to be critical of, you know, and take the criticism, criticism that goes directly towards the corporate side of it. Fine. Do that. But when your criticism devalues every, human involved in the product i think you're going a little too hard agreed you know you're basically saying every director every actor every fan is an idiot doesn't understand cinema doesn't understand movies devaluing the love that the fans have devaluing the effort that the actors and crew and directors put in and the love that they put in there are a lot of people involved in these movies that are very passionate about the characters they play and the direction they're taking Mm -hmm. and yeah there's stakeholder stuff that has to happen right you know and international market stuff that has to happen and stuff that gets washed out 
But these directors put a lot of love into these movies. Oh, yeah. And so making a sweeping statement like that, you're just devaluing that. So that's why I'm saying you need to accept you can be critical, but you need to try to find some joy in the fact that these movies bring joy to people you love. Mm -hmm. And this isn't even if you're one of these critical people. I'm not even saying this just to get you off my back or <laughs> get you off the back of other people. It will help you. Yeah. Because people are going to continue loving these movies yep. for the foreseeable future. There will just organically be a time when people are kind of bored with them and the numbers will go down. Yeah. Maybe the, you know, corporate masterminds of MCU will figure out a way to kind of refresh things. Cough X-Men. Um, <laughs> but who knows? The, it might die out. That's why they're not doing a big 15-year run in the MCU anymore, because they're worried that it will die out halfway through. Yeah. And, but for the foreseeable future, people you know, people in your lives, coworkers, family, friends, neighbors, are going to go out and see these things. They're going to be wearing shirts with the movie emblems on them. Mm -hmm. They're going to be talking to you about them or talking about them near you. And if... All you can do is look at those people like they're idiots and they're terrible and attack them on a personal basis because they like a movie you don't understand or you don't like. It's going to hurt you in the long run. Yep. It's okay to be critical, but don't make it personal is the is the moral of the story. I think that's a good moral. So anyway, that was a super long rant. <laughs> uh, We've had this one building. <laughs> Ridley Scott, if you'd like to comment, you can email me at uh, the last duel was not as good as my cell phone at gmail.com. <laughs> if you want more episodes of Cover B, you can find them at coverbpodcast.com. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Cover B Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I know it was a long episode, but this was one that I think needed to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, as always, I have been Chris. This has been T. Hi. And you have been listening to Cover, Cover B. B. Bye, everybody.